Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 134th episode of MGG Fast Finance, the podcast that's only available in the U.S. and Canada, and only if you have bots to download it ahead of the rabble. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. Before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Singles and Sealed product with shipping to the U.S. or Canada. Check out Face-to-Face Cam card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a card. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at mtgcritic on Twitter. My guest host this week is Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. at Word of Commander, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. James, do you know why Travis wasn't able to come on tonight? Is it, is it, are you able to talk about it? Is it secret? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'm um, not 100% sure. He's probably polishing his Porsche. That is a fair thing. I think he was going to the protest. He was going to dress up as Deathrite Shaman and just start protesting in front of all the cameras to get it out of jail. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read some articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Indeed. Cliff, what is on the agenda this week? We've got four segments this week. Uh, we're going to talk about the top movers. There's some really great cards that have gone crazy lately. We're going to talk about our picks of the week as we tell you the best place to park some money to gain some value. We're going to go over some of the uh, recent events. We've got two Grand Prix that were held last week. And finally, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the new Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Pack. Is that what it's called? The Mythic Edition? It's called Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Edition. Okay, that's the thing we're going to talk about. And uh, who at Wizards does names? Because that seems dumb. Why isn't it called like <laughs> the Super Mega Ultra Awesome or something? Uh, I'm not sure that proved the point, but I do agree that <laughs> Mythic Edition is, is not what I would have come yeah. up with, given that you are confusing it with everything else. Uh, rarity that you is already central to the game. Mm. It's very true. Uh, let's get down to the top movers this week. Uh, what was the first one we wanted to talk about? Well, uh, one of the lands that made a move this week was Guiltleaf Palace out of Lorwyn. This is a single printing elves specific dual land. Uh, and because modern elves has pivoted to be a green black deck, um, to take advantage of that elf that, uh, drains for the number of elves in play, it's, this thing has been on the move and will probably settle in eventually in the 40 to $50 range until it sees a reprint. Um, this week it went from 25 to 35, which is about a 40% gain. I mean, it's great. Uh, I still can't believe this is... None of the tribal lands have been reprinted, right? We got an extra copy of the Treefolk land, I think. But we didn't get the Elf land, the Merfolk land. I don't even know what the others are. Yeah. But no, no, uh, none of the sets have done that. Weird. The, those should show up in some kind of Masters style set. So? In 2019 or 2020, it seems or like a card to get reprinted. Uh, would you be holding these? I don't think I would if I still had them. Mm, I mean, I I don't know that anybody had a large stack of these. Um, if you have a random copy, I think you're getting into the period from now to six months from now where you can reliably out them. We know what the products are likely to be in the intervening cycle, heading into early winter. Most of them have been announced, uh, if not all. 
So um, I don't see this having any reprint risk in the immediate future. It's the kind of thing that could also show up in commander sets if they went back to a... Well, actually, no, it's too high. It's probably too high for that. Um, if they went to a tribal theme, it's not impossible, but probably unlikely. So I think it's it's most likely appearances in a master set, which does narrow um, the risk. And I don't think you need to be in a rush to out it in that circumstance, but... You know, if you see an opportunity, feel free. Yeah, I wouldn't strip it out of a commander deck I had it in, but if I had an extra copy or two, I'd I'd probably move it. I don't. I, I mean, there's better places to put your money for now, and this is already heaven help us. Is this going to be a fifty dollar land? I I could be. Um, well, I mean, we're heading into the part of, we're heading into the part of the magic cycle where into the fall is all about standard. We're going to see a bunch of standard spikes as the decks get sorted out, um, and then. We've got the Christmas period where a lot of card prices tend to be suppressed because people have to spend money on presents and a bunch of good deals pop up late night on eBay. And then as you head into January and February, that's where we start to see the big like accelerations um, of of cards that haven't been reprinted in a while, especially if some set comes out in the wintertime that's a master's style set and the cards um, aren't in there. Um, then you're really going to see some motion on stuff that's important. But because green-black elves, like elves in modern, is really not that big a deal, um, as I said, any, any time in the next three to six months, I think, is a fine exit point. I'm with you on that. Uh, next one is the mouth version of Urza's Mine. The Antiquities version uh, has gone up from 15 to 22. It's the original printing. It's the hotness in... You know, you want to play Tron, you want all the original lands, and I don't know which of the original Tron lands are under $20 a piece, but I would get them. If you have if you have an opportunity to pick up any of them in even decent condition at a, you know, a played one at a 10, I would probably do that. It's just got nowhere to go but up until they decide that they're going to ban the Tron lands. I see no indication that they intend to do I that. I don't think they will either. So uh, I would be all over these. The Tron lands being too good for modern, I think, is established. The, But they fill an interesting role in the format. A lot of people have invested in the deck. The deck is not dominant, though it, it frequently shows up in top eights. And so as with many other cards that have skirted the edge of potentially being bannable, these seem safe. Like if Mox Opal hasn't caught it yet, <laughs> then this isn't any more likely to do so. They're also useful in other formats, right? Um, you see Eldrazi Tron, uh, sorry, uh, in like Legacy sometimes, you see Tron lands used in EDH, you see uh, Tron lands show up in old school. So, And original printings from Antiquities and Arabian Nights are just tar- being targeted in general. So the, the you know confluence of all of these various elements means that these have been safe pickups, and we said so, like, 12 months ago or something. Yep. Um, and, and since then, most of the ones on the list have doubled. Uh, what do we have next? So next on the list, we have Ivory Tower from Antiquities. This is also a an original printing um, of the card. It's not like this card is seeing major play anywhere. It's just that all the cards from the first couple of years of Magic in their original printings have been targeted over the last few years. So not totally surprising to see this one make it on the list. This is going from 16 to 25, a $9 gain for about 55% plus. I know that uh, music hasn't been a big part of this, but we should record a chorus of everybody singing just old school, old school, and play that and move on because 
everything in that vein is getting targeted. And yeah, I, I just feel like <laughs> it's been happening so much lately that we might be on repeat. You, you feel like we need some more like radio morning show audio cues? Clearly, I'm influenced by the era in which I grew up, yes. <laughs> All right, next on the list, we've got Wizard's Lightning from Dominaria. Foils in particular, from 8 to 13. This is on the back of Modern Wizards Developing, which is uh, continuously hilarious to me because it's something that I posited to uh, Todd Stevens when he did the Dominaria set review with us, and he laughed in my face, and now here we are with Wizard's Lightning taking off. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's Lightning Bolt. What are you going to do about Lightning Bolt? It's the backup lightning bolt. I, I love it. Let's, uh... the, the assumption was that warping mid-range control decks into something that was focused on wizards would just not be worth it to get access to an additional lightning bolt, but it turns out that's not quite true. It's not 100% certain this deck has like long legs in modern, but it has shown up in enough uh, top tables so far and, and garnered enough camera time that people are taking it seriously. And even though that Wizard's Lightning is... Is it a common or I believe it's not uncommon. I thought about it for the cube. Right. Yeah, it's tough for uncommon foils to hold over 10, but here we are with this one pushing. Yep. Uh, it's, it doesn't need much to stay there either. It's, I mean, it's played by just enough people. I don't see it going much higher, but it's impressive that it's gotten to this point already. So something else we've seen going on lately is people targeting... Uh, kind of key cards from Revised, um, which is going to be a lot harder to make stick because there was a much, much larger print run of Revised than there were the sets that came previous. Um, Howling Mine went from, say, 7 to, say, 12, about 65%. Um, I've seen, we've seen some of this targeting developing over the course of the summer. I'm curious to see how much of it sticks. Um, I still feel like there's a lot of these, like, Revised, kind of, like, mediocre revised cards sitting in people's binders and once these numbers get high enough they're going to realize that they can trade them in violets will crash but i guess if you see an exit point that you like go i for mean it. i've lost count of the number of revised howling lines that i've just like thrown away it's been uh it was never a super chase card it was i mean it's everywhere tons of printings yeah tons of printings not reserve list this isn't even the original printing as it, as nothing can be for Revised. But I think we might be looking at a point where Revised is old school legal, right? Because it goes all the way to Homelands? Is it Homelands? No, I don't think it goes to Homelands. Right, so it goes to... Oh, no, Fallen Empires, I think. It doesn't count Ice Age, but I think it counts Fallen. I've looked at their list like eight times, and I can never remember which sets are legal. I'm pretty sure Revised is on the list. And we might be getting to a point where um, Revised is now the budget option for a lot of stuff. So... That's, I, I think that if old school continues this insane growth pattern, this is going to be the next stop. And heaven help us if Revised starts getting uh, this, this same level of treatment. Like if you told me five years, uh, five years ago, five months ago, that Howling Mine on Revised was going to be a $12 card, I'd say all kinds of bad words to you. So uh, I think if... And yet... And yet here we are with like seven copies listed on TCG under 20. Oh my god. I mean, that reeks of targeting to me. I don't think that's natural demand for Howling Mine because there's no reason for you, anybody to be grabbing the Howling Mine version other than Old School. And I just can't see Old School training this many copies into the market and there are many, many copies out there. Um, 
this is somebody going after them. And, and, and as I said, we've seen other evidence of revised targeting. I'm curious to see how it develops. I'm, I'm certainly sitting on some of this stuff, not intentionally, but just incidentally in my collection. And <laughs> as with and all of us that were around in the old days that are still sitting on some of these older cards, it is continuously amusing to see them just climb and climb. Yep. Uh, let's see. Next up on the list, we have Hardened Scales. Uh, the Commander 2016 version has gone from about three to five, almost a double up. Uh, there was the deck getting a lot of play in Modern. That was two weeks ago. I think it was. It was more. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it won a GP in, in right. Europe. And that's what uh, everybody's going crazy for. I know Hardened Scales has been a pet card of yours for a while. I don't know if you're still sitting on any foils, though. Foils, yes. Non-foils, most of them got buy-listed in the spring for significantly less than they're offering now. Um, Buy-list on this version is for US on Card Kingdom 520 credit. So practically retail. Um, and that what that suggests is that everybody thinks this thing is headed further north because this is also a commander card. It's a casual card. Now that people are debating whether or not affinity, uh, I mean, hardened scales affinity is better than traditional affinity. Um, if it swings in that direction for modern on a semi-permanent basis, then this card is going to be worth some good coin, especially because it's not going to be on a reprint list anytime soon. Since we got it in KTK not that long ago, then got it again in Commander Anthology Volume 2 and in Commander 2016. So I, I don't imagine you see this again for three to five years, which gives it gives it plenty of time to uh, appreciate. In fact, as t- tempting as it is to get out on this at five, um, I think maybe outing half your copies if you have a pile at this price point, just to, you know, make lock in some profit, and then waiting to see if you can get seven, eight, nine, ten is perfectly reasonable. I'm with you on that. I think that this has room to grow. Uh, it's one a GP. It's impressing people, and uh, there's a good chance that the Affinity Scales is a real deck. I, I think it's got ways to go, and one more innovation is going to really uh, kick some ass. I mean, it's already won a GP, so yeah. we know it's a real deck. The question is whether people will fiddle with Affinity further and decide swing back towards not having it, or whether something will develop in the meta that makes the old version better. Um the, the concept, as I understand it, is that the, the draws are less explosive with this version, but it's more resilient to removal. Yeah, because there's a lot of fun counters to move around. Uh, speaking of revised going crazy, Verduran Enchantress out of revised has uh, had a couple of bucks bump uh, up to around five now. And uh, I did just finish checking, and it's everything through Fallen Empires. So if you have an Enchantress deck that you love, uh, there's also the new Commander Enchantress deck. There's... All kinds of reasons for this one to go up, and this one bumping slightly is not that surprising. Uh, $5 for a revised bear sounds about right, given how many there are out there. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the version I would want in my deck. In fact, revised cards generally look terrible, so I don't know why it would be anybody's pick, um, other than old-school situations where I don't think this is very useful. Um, but it is isn't 3,500 EDH decks, and Enchantments Matters is a thing coming out of Commander 2018, so that could be putting some pressure on the card. Um, and certainly, I like this one better than the one that's at the top of the list that we're going to talk about. <laughs> All right. Well, what do we have next? Um, next on the list is Masticor, um, followed by Three Wishes, both of which are reserveless cards that are generally useless. Although, if you remember playing against Masticor back in the day, that was an oh, absolute terror. Brutal. 
brutal card. In an earlier era of magic, this thing was busted. It was a 4-4 body with a Gatling gun attached to it. It was just disgusting to play against. Yeah, um, was... From Urza's Destiny, 350 to 750. It's on the reserve list. People are draining that barrel right down to the bottom. Three Wishes is from Visions. Um, relatively useless blue uh, card draw spell, right? Um, moving uh, from $3 I, I to six fifty. Yeah, it draws cards. I think it does something like... Uh, let's just look it up. Ta- take the top three cards from your library, look at them, set them aside face down. You can play those cards as though they were in your hand at the beginning of your next turn, bury them. So you basically pull three cards out and you have one turn to play them. It's like the, the effect that they have now given to red. Temporary card draw that you have to use or lose. It's in all of 39 decks on EDH Rex, so let's just assume that that is reserve list only targeting. I'd rather play Visions, guys. There you go. Uh, let's see. Next up, we have the foil version of Windswept Heat from Onslaught. The original pack foil has more than double, from about 140 to around 340. And I can't imagine there were very many of these on TCG as it is. Because anybody who has them is going to be in love with the old uh, old border foil, and rightfully so. It's the prettiest of all. There's judge foils. There's the, uh, the expedition, and then there's uh, the cons foils that you could get. So this is really the pack foil, the chase, and this bumping up is not a shock, although the amount it bumped up by is pretty impressive. Onslaught was a long time ago. Uh, I think you can ignore the 340 as nothing more than a wishful ask, but it's going to, where it settles is going to be determined on a transaction by transaction basis because this is, Onslaught is so long ago now um, that foil fetches from that era are just going to be generally hard to come by. Like somebody sells, sells out of a deck or sells their whole collection, it happens occasionally, but nobody's just yanking these out of bulk and, it, you know, just popping out near mint. So, you know, if, if you had some of these, you don't need to be in a rush to get rid of them. You've got one in the commander deck, you can sit on it for as long as you feel like waiting. If you're especially active on finance, you could get out of it, you know, into some specs, ratchet up, come to, you know, end up with five or six hundred dollars in your hands, and then, you know, maybe buy yourself a full playset of like con spoil fetches or something. <laughs> Uh, what's next? Because I want you to say this honestly. I'm I'm still flashing back to Travis giving me hell about all my pronunciations. I'm gonna guess this is Hagere, the Still Wind from Betrayers of Kamigawa, going from two dollars to five dollars on the back of Yuriko. Um, that's 150 percent gain, but again, it's exactly that price range we like to make fun of that it's impossible to make money on. But I will tell you that I did sell a foil Hagere um, on eBay last night, and I expect the next one will go relatively quickly as well. And that person doubled down and bought a foil uh, ninja of the Deep Ways. Deep Hours. Deep Hours um, at the same time. So pretty clear that people are willing to foil at the ninja deck because Travis had similar reports. I mean, there hasn't been another... uh, They reprinted some of the ninjas, but they didn't reprint this one. And we got the Oni reprinted, thankfully. Otherwise, that would be like $20. But the any... Foil Ninja is going to be... There's only, what, 12 Ninjas in all of Magic anyway? Yeah, you can't play all of them in the decks. They're not all good enough to make it. Um, but I think people what people underestimated with Yuriko was that you don't need the full tribe. Like, you don't need human-level options um, to make it work because she doesn't require Ninjas to work. She just wants something to be attacking that's not going to get blocked. 
so she can come into play and do her thing. So that could come from a that could happen as a result of a number of different things: creatures with evasion, creatures with death touch, creatures that um, can make themselves unblockable or are naturally unblockable, equipment that makes things unblockable. So the deck is very viable um, and looks like it's going to be you know one of the more popular commander decks of the year, top ten if not top five. It might be the the top one. I I mean you you keep getting to replay the thing for just the two mana. As long as something's unblocked, you don't pay the commander tax when you're ninjutsuing it out. Well, this week the top commander is still Atraxa. So well, that's because people love <laughs> the, to play Super Friends. Yeah, well, and and I'm sure th- this contributes to the discussion we're going to have later. Um, there are going to be some specs from Atraxa that are going to need to be looked at now that we know we're going to master play masterpiece planeswalkers this fall. Uh, let's see. Next up on the list, we have Tempest Efreet from Legends. Uh, reserve list card had, went from 25 to, you know, the ungodly number of 125. I think that's a optimistic price. And congratulations, reserve list. You continue to do work even after, uh, it's been what, probably two years, three of this level of shenanigan. I bought one of these for $5. Um, which I'm still holding, but I also had one that was given to me by my cousin that dropped off that collection like a year and a half ago that was sitting around for a while. And then I decided to test the waters by selling it. And it was one with a misprint on it. It had like a weird, like cut of us, like uh, a plane symbol from the card to its bottom, right. And I think I sold it for 3888 or something like that. Um, so seeing this go to 125 is somewhat painful. Although the $5 card being worth a potentially $100 bill will dry my tears, I suppose. You, you, you do fine. You'll be fine. You don't need to whine about that. The, the, I, the moral of the story is that... Don't sell anything. The time the, the time to buy reserve list is yesterday, and the time to sell it is never. <laughs> it's yeah, that's not reasonable too. And then the final two cards this week, a pair of 7th edition foils. Uh, if you've been following this cast for a number of time, you know that 7th edition foils, people love the first edition, the first foil set in Magic. This time it's Elder Druid and Yavamaya Enchantress, uh, both printed at rare, right? All right, so uh, the Druid, the worst untapper you'll ever see, has gone from 4 to 30. And Yavamaya Enchantress from 5 to about 60. If you've got 7th edition foils laying around, good for you. Uh, the rest of us are just going to keep watching this happen and admire the probably 200 people in the world who are hell-bent on collecting a full set of foil 7th. Well, I've long suspected that there are people out there that are just targeting 7th foils constantly as yeah. a hobby. And, we, and there's a guy that follows me on Twitter that show, keeps showing off his, like, 80 plus copies of foiled seventh edition final fortune plus a whole bunch of other random seventh foils he buys so multiply him by even 20 and i think that's a conservative number right and it explains a lot of how seventh foils are constantly under pressure there's also vendors that pick them up when opportunistically whenever they see it because you know seven foils are desires so they're going to go up they're not reserve lists but they may as well be because you can't recreate the circumstances of seven foils even if the cards in question are reprinted like the, the value of the seven foil is not derived from its lack of reprint it's from it being a seventh edition foil how many does he show you i'm, I'm really curious now like these are the kind of pictures you get sent on twitter like dozens yeah he he, <laughs> he 
shows off dozens of the same seven that foil. That is impressive. I like I like a final fortune spec too. This, that would be the only printing I believe that's in foil anyway. Well, the only the only uh, foil, yeah, because the original is Mirage, yeah. right? Pretty sure Mirage. And then maybe fifth edition or something. Yeah, something like that. All right, let's get on to our cards to watch. The cards that people should be picking up this week. I've got some kind of contrarian picks this week. These are cards that may not be on people, or items anyway, that might not be on people's radar. The first is Sword of Feast and Famine masterpieces. Um, I just sold one the other day, and I thought that I, I, I didn't realize immediately that it was my inventory, because I thought it was uh, one of my European partners who had sent me some stuff and that I had posted. And when it sold, I was like, hi, he probably, he probably could have got more. And then I realized it was my inventory. <laughs> And then I had forgotten to bump up my price to what I wanted to get for it. Um, and then I started taking a look at them, and there are still copies around for 125, but this is like in 17,000 EDH decks. So, inventory near a tipping point, it's a masterpiece. These have all been targeted already. Um, this has not, the inventory has not filled in the gap here. Um, more are being sold than are being brought in through buy lists, trust me. So, I see no reason why this will not eventually be a hundred and seventy-five, hundred and eighty, two hundred dollar card. I think it's if you ever want to own this card, as with many of the masterpieces, just go ahead and get it. We also know again know that we're now getting Planeswalker masterpieces for the foreseeable future, so there's certainly no risk that this is getting another masterpiece anytime soon. And we don't have any sets announced where the card in general could be reprinted. I am looking this up real quick because I want to see what the judge version is at. And it looks like you can get the judge version for around a hundred. So it really comes down to uh, which promo version you like. I imagine supply is tiny on all of these. Um, but masterpieces have been targeted with much more frequency. Which do you suppose is more common, the judge version or the masterpiece? Mm, I don't know well, off the top of my head what year that judge promo was, so I'm not entirely sure how big the judge program was point. then. But I would I, I see this the same way that I saw the uh, judge foil soul ring. Um, they're right. both targets. Like we saw the we saw the judge foil soul ring pop after the masterpiece version pop. I think there are many people that prefer the old borders on the judge promo my sword of peace and famine. But there's very so. There's so few of them that yeah. take your pick. If, if you're, especially if you're planning on playing with it for a while and then maybe selling it off if it if it jumps, then you know this is one of those nice things you can do playing EDH is, you know, guilt free. Go ahead and spend the money on either version. Check back in every year or so, and you're going to have opportunities. Yep. Uh, for the record, it was 2014, so it's probably smaller, I would say, on the judge, but not by much. Um, but I, I I love this because this is a terrifying equipment. It's in every damn combo deck. You're gonna get all your untaps. You're gonna make them discard stuff. I'm I'm for it. I'm a big fan. Good call. Yeah, I think I think either one is is totally safe, and especially not as like a spec where you pick up forty copies and try no. to clean up the market. But like you said, if you want get your one, if you want one at all. This is this is your time, and you've got upside because you know eighteen thousand EDH rec decks says consistent demand, and two promos in the last five years means there's no reason to see this again in promo for many moons. Here's hoping. Uh, there's the uh, alternate weird Grand Prix one that uh, I saw a picture of the other day, but 
That's that's for the misprints and rarities uh, bunch. Um, my first pick this week uh, as a card that I'm still surprised is as cheap it is. Uh, Foil Eldritch Evolution out of uh, uh, yeah, Foil Eldritch Evolution out of Eldritch Moon. Uh, you can still get for about eight dollars in foil, and it hasn't done any combos lately. But it's a card that just screams out, break me right in half. Birthing pod's too good, that's fine, so get your one-shot birthing pod in. And the great thing is, when it pops, it's going to do so uh, in a big way, because you're not going to play one evolution, you're going to play four. Maybe. See, in Modern, it's already appeared. Uh, Jeff Hoogland builds, uh, Todd Steven builds, in green value town type situations. Right. You know, like this with Eternal Witness and all this other kind of nonsense where you're cycling things in and out of the graveyard where the creature you sacked to evolution is not is giving you a benefit, not... I love everything you're saying. Keep going, your, keep going. Not, not functioning to your detriment. And I'm actually a big believer in the card. This was a pick of mine way back, like way early, too early, because um, I was playing it in Frontier, where I play it in a Panharmonicon brew. So it's 7,500... Uh, Decks on EDH rec. Um, so there's already underpinning demand from uh, Commander. And, you know, what you're really waiting for is a, top, a deep top eight in modern that surprises people with some kind of new version of the brew. Look, if, if Wizard's Lightning is a $10 foil, <laughs> then. Fair. Then this, this is where we're at. Fair. And, and the inventory is not, like, super deep, and the ramp is. Pretty shallow right now, but it wouldn't take much more than a significant top eight performance to pump this up to 15. And I also don't see this being reprinted anytime soon. No, so, I think they're really scared of cards like this, honestly. It's like a, it's, it was supposed to be like a fixed survival of the fittest. And I think they like the power level is, was like well balanced. Um, it does what it does. But there's card disadvantage unless you're working the system and there are ways to mess with what you're up to. So um, it's interesting. I, I, I don't think this is a high priority spec for me right now, despite having called it like a year ahead of a year or two ahead of this. Um, just because I think there's other better options in the short and midterm. But I think that, you know, a small stack of these four to eight foil copies as one of your long shots is totally fine. I liked it a lot better when it was cheaper, like when it was available for three or four dollars. It was a four dollar foil. Oh yeah, I'm impressed. I think it's still yeah. that room to grow though. So because in, uh, in standard it wasn't being played at all. True. All right, you got you got a good point on that. So this is all from the post standard demand. Mm-hmm. All right. So my next thing is I, I I've been looking at the San Diego Comic Con Planeswalker sets pretty hard, and I'm not saying this because I just bought seven of them at Fan Expo and flipped them. Because I flipped them, so they're out. So I have no reason to be trying to get you to buy my copies. What I'm looking at now is whether I'm supposed to be buying the relatively more expensive copies that are at the low end of eBay now that the shimmer is off the product in North America. You know, most of the people that were desperate to get their hands on it have, and now the people that were holding extra copies are starting to have second thoughts about whether their money's supposed to be parked elsewhere. And that's leading to some bleed off from them being, I think, like 260 to 280 at one point on eBay. And now you can get them as low as 220, 225. And you might even be able to submit a best offer in the 210 to 215 range, and maybe you'll get one. Um, my logic is pretty simple. 
there was no distribution of this product product outside of North America. And this latest uh, occurrence of distribution in Toronto this weekend is probably the last. Um, so you basically had San Diego Comic-Con, you had the online uh, Hasbro Toy Shop sale a few weeks later, and now Fan Expo in Toronto, and I think they're gone. So the lowest price posted on uh, MKM, the TCG player of Europe, is somewhere in the 340 range. One of the most prominent under-the-radar MTG financiers was on the Toronto message board offering to buy as many as people could sell him, which I assume means he's selling them into Europe or into Japan. And if the smartest people that stay quiet are doing that, that's probably what the rest of us are supposed to be doing as well. To be clear on something, uh, you said 340. Is that American? Is that That's Euro. No, that's that's Euros. So that means you're talking closer to 400 plus US. So you buy it at 225, even after shipping and fees and whatever, you could still clear a hundred dollar bill. And that's it. That's like with like right now when there's eight copies left on MKM. In a year, there might be zero because all it takes is eight people in Europe to decide to pay that price and it's over. That's uh, difficult to argue with. The only, uh, and I know uh, this is the, this is only five, right? There's only five of them in this particular one. They don't have the nickel bolus. Yep. Correct. But now that I've seen them in person, they are gorgeous. Like the Therese Nielsen art is probably the best ever in any of these sets. So I suspect that these will hold the premium over the other sets in other years that people have gotten burned on. Um, we've already seen it post up higher numbers. And I think that Therese, there are enough Therese Nielsen fans internationally that you will not, as long as you, you could use this as an excuse to set up your contact overseas, which you should have done already anyhow. And, you know, get things flowing. Um, which then gives you outlets for the future too when this something else comes down the road, like what's happening October 3rd, which we'll get to shortly. Uh, I'm with you. I'm, you know, there's a conversation on Twitter uh, not that long ago about Therese Nielsen and her personal views and all of that. And even, it would take a lot for a lot of people to give up on her. So I, she's going to clear something like a hundred grand off selling the five paintings off eBay. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of demand for her stuff. Yeah. Travis has pointed a lot of fingers on Twitter about her politics. And I think that he's made some very good points. Um, I don't think that's going to change anything for most people. Look, just go, just go look up invoke prejudice and understand, you know, we're, we're, this is where we're at. And, uh, wizard hasn't flinched. If sweatshops don't interfere with Nike's getting sold, then I don't think that we need to worry about whether these sets we're going to sell. Also true. Uh, let's move on. My next pick this week is the invocation version of Capsize. Uh, I really love picking this up at its current price of $45. I think that's way under considering what other invocations have done. And I'm looking up the other foil version, which I believe is the FNM right now. Let's see. Capsize from the FNM is... Uh, only 30. So this is already the most expensive version, but you know, there's not that many invocations. I don't personally like the frame, but that doesn't mean that it's not, I, I like the frame more than I see. I like it more now that I see what they do when they listen to us and said they went too far, but we'll get to that with the, uh, mythic edition. So yeah, the invocation, we'll get there. We'll get there. So the invocations, they, a lot of them have been targeted. Uh, this one hasn't had a big spike yet, and I just, it's played in so many things, and I just love picking this one up. Uh, get your one for your EDH deck, 
pick up a couple of extras if you have the budget for it. If you're in a blue deck and you have big mana, then bouncing all the most dangerous things on the board back to people's hands repeatedly is a good way to make enemies. Um, but it, at, even still, it's in 12,500 decks on EDH rec, which means more like 50,000 or 100,000 people are playing it. Um, and it's at a tipping point, as you're pointing out for TCG player, there's like maybe 20 copies under $50 left. And once those dry up, it's going to spike to 60 to 80 would be my guess. I think this is a slam dunk. Um, as you said, there's another promo, but between the two of them, there's not more than a hundred copies out there. So this could easily post up. I, I don't think it's a near term spike because there's not going to be anything immediate that happens that, that makes this go overboard. It's not a themed card. It's just a generally good blue card in EDH. And because of that, it might be a 6 to 12, possibly an 18-month hold, but it's going to get there. Tipping point, it's pretty close. I'm with you on that. I also am looking forward to hearing uh, your thoughts on this next card. Hit us with it. Yeah, so the last thing I'm considering is whether Nexus of Fate, having now gone through the full hype cycle of Boom and Bust... And sitting around at about $20 a copy now um, is going to be something that we should be looking at once standard unfurls this fall. So I don't think you run out and buy a bunch of copies right this second, um, because I suspect that at some point during its standard tenure, either this fall or later on, the card, the deck will fail to come together, the card will crash, and you'll be able to get it in the like $10 to $15 range. That will then become a long-term spec because the card has been t- tinkered with in Modern already where it may make an appearance, um, a more permanent appearance. Or you can just rely on it to be a casual collector EDH type spec and, that you're going to hold for a year or more and you know stash four to eight copies away kind of thing. So I am 100% with you if the card gets to 10 or $15. It's a slam dunk at that point. However, there's one big thing that I, I can't reconcile, and that is uh, whether or not it gets a reprint. And I guess there's one more thing. Uh, people are going to have some crazy price memory about this because it, a lot of people bought theirs in the 30 range, and it's going to hurt enough selling it for 25 They might give it to a store for some amount of store credit and then that store will turn around and try and get some money out of it. But I, I feel like you're, or you're being awfully pessimistic about this card and I'm not sure why you think it's going to fall that hard when it's. Well, we were, well, we were talking about this precast, right? About how the deck had eight fogs. One of them is being lost. So it needs a fog replacement to hang together and potentially some other cards that might or may or may not make it better. But it's dealing with a smaller card pool, and it's a fairly finicky control deck that needs specific elements to function. So if the smaller card pool means that for the foreseeable future the deck doesn't come together, but in the spring it gets the fog it needs plus some other pieces, or it just has enough to work with that it can adjust to shifts in the metagame sufficiently, then the deck could come come back to the forefront. And especially if it gets some time off, and, you know, you get to mid-spring by the point it's making a big impact again, but it's rotating in six months, they're not going to ban it. They don't want to ban anything. They don't really have to. And if they're not facing a year and a half of it, they're just facing a, a half year at the point where it gets good again, it'll, it'll be left alone. And just on standard demand, this thing could get back up over 30 again. Because, again, there is no further distribution. And I don't think, I don't think there's any chance that they've got a plan to re-release this card. I, I think that... 
they they are more likely to ban it than reprint it. Um, and they probably have some degree of confidence that they didn't print a fog <laughs> that keeps the deck alive and they don't have to worry about it for a while. Or they know, you know, they, they know the circumstances better than us because they know what the cards are already that are coming out for the next year. So if they haven't announced a reprint, I don't think we need to worry about it. And I think this is just a good wait and see spec where you, you wait to see how things unfurl as you're seeing more and more cards from the set. And when you know that you don't have that fog, you can, you know, maybe get your, your gun loaded. And if you do get the fog, you might want to think about whether the rest of the pieces of the puzzle are there to keep the deck rolling in the immediate future and get in for an, a, you know, a near term spike instead of a long term play. No, I, I think that if it if it does drop lower, I mean it's come down to thirty thirty ish from the the high it was at of no 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 twenty twenty you can get copies you of get copies of twenty oh yeah the TCG market is nineteen forty nine holy biscuits there you go so I mean I, and I had somebody who <laughs> tried to claim they didn't I copies I sent them didn't arrive and then said they would rather have a refund so. I mean, people are definitely having uh, buyer's remorse on this card, but I think they're going to be wrong. I think if you bought these, you hold, because they're, you may decide if you want to play them. If not in this format, then in some other format. And again, these are not being opened in boxes or in drafts or in anything, at least for as far as we know. So any amount of demand can push this in the, the other direction again. There's also, um, they're allowed to do, like if stores still have them, they're allowed to give them out once uh, Guilds of Ravnica is out, right? That's the the rule for the store promos. I, I find I'm going to find that real hard to believe. Any store that is deliberately holding these or couldn't get rid of them is either totally out of touch, in which case their copies may as well have disappeared, or they're totally on the ball but they <laughs> held them back, in which case they probably already sold them through. And if they still have copies, like they picked up via buy list or whatever then, you know, they're just part of the, the normal inventory pool. All right, that's fair. I'm with you on this. Uh, you've talked me around. Good job. All right, tell me about your final pick. Uh, my last pick is Cleansing Nova, the current rare out of M19. You can get it for around 2 bucks, and if you hunt on eBay, you can get, like, a play set in the $657 range. Uh, this looks like it's going to be the only board wipe in the new set. Now, this is contingent on what comes out in Guilds of Ravnica. But Fumigate is rotating, and this is the five-mana Wrath that's currently available to us. So uh, Fumigate went through a point where it spiked pretty hard uh, up into the $10 range. Uh, I think this one will get into the 7 or 8 range, but picking them up at $2 each for something that people are going to keep wanting to play their $40 Teferis. So they're going to try real hard to make this work, and I think eventually they'll find a shell that does. And this is going to be a part of it, having four Cleansing Nova uh, between main deck and sideboard. Settle the Wreckage is still a thing, but I think they're going to get played alongside each other. It's not like you play one or the other. Mm, I'm not convinced on that. Set Settle being instant speed in the attack phase has a lot of surprise upside, and it's a mana cheaper. The other problem here is you don't know whether or not there's a sweeper in Ravdica, and if there is, which colors it's in. It's true. Uh, this is, uh, if it if we don't get a sweeper uh, in white-blue, then uh, I think this really has legs. If we do, then I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I, I could see a language-type effect showing up in black, too. Like a minus-minus 
effect. They like those in the fall sets. They have done those before, it's true. But uh, I think that I made good money on Fumigate, and this is the next candidate to be in that line. And I really love trading for cards that are cheap right now, knowing that I'm going to trade them away for probably significantly more. Mm. Yeah, I think Cleansing Nova, again, is a, is a wait and see. You want to see how the rest of that set plays out and how the format's shaping up, and then have your finger on the trigger. I mean, inventory's pretty deep on this. It's only in 400 decks so far in EDH. Oh, I'm right? amazed anybody's so, playing it in Commander. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think this one a, is a pretty big long shot, and, and I, I, I think I like Eldritch Evolution and Capsize more. Well, you're allowed to rank my choices. I, I'm not opposed to you giving me the uh, hot or not treatment like that. But let's move. I'll give you the one. I'll give you the one, two, three. Then you give it to me. Mine is. Mine for yours are. Capsize, Eldritch Evolution, Cleansing Nova. How about mine? Uh, I hate your Nexus of Fate pick because I don't think it'll go that low. I think your Planeswalker set is a very likely, but I think your uh, Sword is a slam dunk. Okay, so you have Sword in the order I presented them. Sword, Planeswalker set, Nexus. Yeah. Got it. Okay, moving on. So, metagame where you can review. Um, we're going to talk about GP Richmond a little bit. This was a legacy tournament, so not tremendously interesting from a finance perspective because the format relatively settled. A lot of the players that are in the format have been invested a long time and aren't buying new cards all that often. However, the removal of Deathrite Shaman from the format earlier in the year has certainly shaken things up to the point where there are some new decks emerging and some cards that are worth talking about. So it was only an 850-person GP. So, again, this format is not as big as things like Standard or Limited. Well, the, the Standard one was all, was under 900, too. It was just a, a, a bad weekend. Like, the one G, the t- two GPs together had fifteen had less than 2,000 people, which is uh, pretty bad. Even, yeah, I mean, it's... It's August long weekend. People have all sorts of family events and stuff going on. They go away on vacations and what have you. So it's not tremendously surprising. Yeah, it's also a, a lame duck standard format. You would think I I thought that Legacy would get more people. I don't remember what the other Legacy events have gotten, but this seemed small. But then again, with uh, not what would you? How many people was it? Eight hundred and some odd. 843. Eight forty three. So that was. Probably something like, uh, call it 4,000 dual lands in the room. So first place was Miracles in the Hands of Andrew Cunio. Um, this is the version uh, without Sensei's Divining Top. Um, Notables here, Council's Judgment, which is a card that has continued to rise as a single printing from Commander sets. Um, sorry, Conspiracy? Yeah, right. Uh, Search for Kanta making an appearance here. Three Jace the Mind Sculptor, otherwise pretty stock. Um, Lands was in second. Death Shadow, this is the blue black builds um, in third place in the hands of Noah Walker. So Foil Death Shadow are definitely on my radar because there are decks in both Modern and Legacy that are using it as a four of. So the Modern Masters 2017 foils have already shown motion and I think will continue to do so. Um, they may still be a spec. I'm going to have to take a closer look at them for next week. Um, Delver's Secret Foils might be worth considering as well. Street Wraith Foils, that are, uh, is that an Iconic Masters? I think so, yeah. Or M25. No, 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 it was, Ma- it was uh, M25. Man, I can't tell those two apart. Yeah. 
uh, because it's got the well, the, the planeswalker symbol in the background or whatever. Yeah, it's got the watermark. Um, that might be worth taking a look at. Snuffouts have already had their day in the sun. They've already appreciated and foil. As you pointed out, there's a whole bunch of surgical surgical extractions uh, in the mix and legacy. So that's a card that people might want to have their eye on. There's another Miracles deck in fourth. The Disappearance of Deathrite Shaman, of course, has allowed Canadian Threshold to come back to the forefront. So it showed up in fifth place. Um, Nimble Mongoose and True Name Nemesis Foils um, are therefore worth a little look-see. Um, True Name, of course, showing up in a couple of different builds in Legacy. And the Japanese Foils at Battle Bond are going to be especially hard to come by. Regular Foils are still in the 200 range, right? Yeah, I mean, I still haven't, I still haven't seen a single box of Japanese Battle Bond show up on eBay. Also, like not one. <laughs> there was there was some just as it came out, and one of my contacts in Europe bought them up, and I never got any. I managed to get three from a contact uh, in Japan, and a couple of other hunters picked up some that I heard about. But none of those seem to have been floated anywhere publicly. I got a decent offer on them today. But I think I'm going to throw them up at like two, somewhere between 200 and 250 US and see if I can move one. I'm just curious to see what, how the market will react to one showing up on the site. I, are you, I'm just, why would you, this is a more of a philosophical question, but why would you put it up as a buy it now instead of an auction? Oh, I never do auctions. Auctions have been proven to, to basically just net out to buy it nows most of the time. The only way I would ever consider that would be something that's almost impossible to price, where the where the market may just get it wrong, like get over exuberant. So something like a like a not Lotus nine point five or a Teresa Nielsen original art works really well in auction. But for something where the price is relatively well known and easily compared, you may as well just choose your your the number you want to get and then put best offer and allow people to come dare people to come as close as possible. Like, literally 100% of my listings on eBay are, are bins. Never, ever. All right. Uh, that's that. Uh, what else do we have? We had a couple of Aldrazi Snoppy decks, a uh, deck I'm fond of, because I started to build the modern version with Aya Vugan and Aldrazi Mimic into Name Your Poison. And it is a lot of fun to drop the two drop for free and then hit them for a billion on turn two. I personally very much enjoy that mechanic. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping somebody will take another look at the Phyrexian, uh, what's it called? What's the reserve list Phyrexian 12-12? Oh, the Dreadnought? For one. Dreadnought. Yeah, there was a guy here in Toronto that was piloting, when Eldrazi first came out, he was he won a couple of tournaments with an Eldrazi build that had Mimic and four Phyrexian Dreadnought, and it had some very <laughs> disgusting like wins on turn three. That's amazing. That is just amazing. Yeah, it was. It, it really was actually, and I was hoping that was going to catch on, but it never. It never got bigger than the local scene, which is unfortunate because I'm holding a bunch of dreadnoughts that have appreciated naturally because they're on reserve list. But it'd be really great if somebody would top eight a legacy tournament and really crank it up. Uh, anything else from this uh, legacy GP you want to mention? Nothing that really jumps out at me. Um, it's good to see the format get shaken up this year. I think it's good for everybody. The card that looks like it's seen the most play across all the decks is Surgical Extraction, um, as you pointed out. 
And uh, other than that, I would think people should be worried more about standard heading into the fall and, and seeing how that's going to unfurl. And I suppose from a finance perspective, we can use that as a way of transitioning into our topic of the week, which is Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Edition. Big announcement from Wizards this week that they're going to be selling to a, a masterpiece-focused alternate product related to Guilds of Ravnica that will go on sale on October 3rd, and here are the details. The product will be $249.99. It will only be available on HasbroToyShop.com starting on October 3rd until they run out of uh, inventory. Quantities are quote-unquote limited, but they won't say exactly how many they're making. Limit will be two per customer, and they're going to put out some more information over the next couple of weeks to let us understand how this is all going to unfold. What's your first take on this? So my first take is it is a giant middle finger to the local game store model. They just finished with the buy a box promo stuff where they said, we really want to give our game stores the incentive and get people to come in and buy stuff. And that lasted two sets. And only one of those sets was the buy a box, like something that people were scrambling for. We went Firesong and Sunspeaker, and now this one, and now the Nexus of Fate, and now they're saying, why are we giving these stores all this money when we can sell it directly? Um, I like that they're not, they're getting, uh, they're selling a whole box with it. Uh, I don't entirely get why. I mean, you're getting eight special, you're getting eight specially marked packs. Each one has one of the Planeswalkers. We'll talk about the art in a second. And then you get 24 regular packs. And I saw you break this down on Twitter that for $250, you are getting eight walkers at $25 apiece already sold. And then it's another $50 for 24 packs for a draft set. So you really can't go wrong. It is like you can you can ship in on this and then you know get eight people at what, 20 bucks a piece? 30. $30 a piece. And you're going to draft, and you're going to have a shot at your Planeswalker picks. You get whichever Planeswalker you want. What's the cheapest one, you think? Um, the cheapest one is probably going It'd have to, to be Ral, right? Ra- Ral or the other, new one. the other new one, depending on how good it is. I, th- I think the other one's Vraska, by the way. That seems quite likely, given uh, her presence in Ixalan. And, and, I think, and, I think, and I think the Vraska's going to be like modern playable. Oh, you think they, they're going to push her? Yeah, because this is the whole thing with, like, Vraska just came out of this love affair with Jace on Ixalan. She lost her memory, and now she's back on the Bolas team until Jace unlocks her memories or whatever. And I think this is... We've never had a, like, pushed Vraska. Uh, she's been a five and a six cast walker before, right? So I think this will be the four cast version of Vraska. Uh, there was a poll that uh, Evan Irwin put up that I bookmarked because I knew we were going to talk about this. Um, depending on what you think the print run will be, uh, if it's t- less than 10,000, they can top out around $2.5 million. 20,000 copies is around 5 mil, and you just do the math from there. So it really, I'm just stunned. I don't understand which they want. Is this because Wizards wants to make more money? Is this because this is a test run to see what they can do to just sell us stuff directly instead of fooling around with the San Diego Comic Con promos, you know that I'm sure that they're annoyed that they're missing out on that 
uh, hunk of money that people are reselling it immediately. I don't know. I don't know, man. There, Mark, there's a lot to unpack here. So let's let's go through the various points. The right. So it's a two hundred fifty dollars set, fifty bucks for the draft set. You're getting eight planeswalkers, essentially at twenty five dollars a piece. These are masterpieces, and I suspect that they're using the word masterpieces because the um, print run is going to be pretty similar to the masterpieces. So I think we can assume it is single digit thousands. I don't think it's ten thousand. I think it's probably closer to five. Um, I think that $250 sets are actually a hard sell. Um, that the, it's not the full magic demographic that's going to pick this up. Um, if you're 16 and don't have a credit card, you, and your parents don't feel like, like helping you out, you may not have any access to this. If you're, uh, you know, single parent with four kids and you love magic, you're probably going to pass on this. Like a large, large swaths of the demographic are going to ignore. But the core 18 to 34-year-old males gainfully employed demographic that makes up the core of the game um, is, is, I would say, like 10% of them are going to attempt to purchase. One of the interesting things here is that there is an operational constraint, given that it's being distributed not through some fantastic e-commerce system, but through one of the worst e-commerce retail systems in North America, HasbroToyShop.com, which has been nefarious for the past half decade for crashing every time exclusives are posted to it, um, which means that it is highly susceptible to being plundered by bots, which is software that scalpers can run to target the site from multiple locations simultaneously, multiple IP addresses with multiple account uh, details, and scoop up two sets at a time every time they, they manage to push their orders through. So because it's limited to two per household, that's the most anybody not using bots is ever going to get that doesn't set up, you know, alternate shipping addresses and credit cards. Very few people are going to go through that extra effort um, and commit that much money. So you're talking about diehard financiers, speculators, store owners, etc. They will gobble up, I'm guessing, something like 5,000 sets. Like, I think that's about what we're talking about. And so if that's $10 million or whatever... Uh, wait, how much is that? 250 times 5,000. Uh, so that's only $1.25 million. So that's a drop in the bucket for a $300 million plus a year brand. This is not about the money. It's an experiment. It's an experiment from a couple of different angles. This is about direct sales, something that Wizards has never basically yeah. almost never, almost never done other than the San Diego Comic-Con sets being sold after San Diego Comic-Con. Um, it's amusing that they're using the same distribution model for this that they use for that, given how maligned that is. But that's, that's uh, I guess, neither here nor there. Um, the fact that we're getting Planeswalker masterpieces was exactly what I predicted in the winter um, would be the next target. The fact that they are um, full art was also something that we talked about on cast. Um I agree with Proxy Guy that these are not super optimal. Like these basically look like the most common style exactly. of Planeswalker proxy uh, uh, Planeswalker alters that you will see, say, on eBay, Twitter, social media, etc. And I think maybe Wizards' approach here was, well, they said the Amonkhet masterpieces were too busy, and they seem to like these borderless full art Planeswalkers. Like they're buying them. So let's call that market research and just put, put them out like that. 
Um, I can actually live with the style of this. Like, I don't think it's super amazing or anything. But I think I'm, I, I call more into question some of the art choices. Um, I think that the Elspeth art is, is great because it's got a story reference that people will consider important. The Teferi art is solid. Um, but the Tezzeret art, the Lilium of the Last Hope, and the Ral and the Nicol Bolas are all mediocre by my measure and look like they might have been sitting in their back pocket from other projects. And I think that's a mistake. Like, if you're going to call something a masterpiece, give me the best art that has ever been seen for that character. That's kind of, that's to me what a masterpiece means. Um, so we also got, we also saw a video on Twitter today of the Ral Is It Viceroy card being moved back and forth under the light. And it looked like this foiling process was much closer to an FTV foiling process than it was to the masterpieces, which were a little. Please tell me you're kidding. This is some kind of troll joke on me. No, no. Oh no. my god, I have not seen this video. If it is like, oh crap! Finish what you're going to say. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I, I suspect it's not going to be quite so bad, um, but I think it'll be worse than the Kaladesh. Um, versions and closer to the expeditions which definitely had like a pretty thick gloss on them and were prone to chipping and if they come out like that listen people are still going to buy them but they won't be necessarily as sought after but we need to take a big step back from this <laughs> from a value perspective yes 250 dollars is an expensive sounding oh no product, man but eight but eight guaranteed masterpieces for 25 a piece is a joke some of these are going to probably be worth the price of admission by themselves. So, uh, I don't... if we say that the if, if we say that they're two hundred dollars for all the planeswalkers, Liliana the Last Hope and Teferi will make that up by themselves easily. There's no way that Teferi foils are already a hundred dollars. So a masterpiece Teferi cannot be less than a hundred dollars, and it's one of the better pieces of art. Liliana the Last Hope. Some people are going to love that art. I personally not partial to it because it has no background context. Like it's just her in front of purple right. glow, and, and that's not particularly interesting. But Liliana the Last Hope is a played card in modern and legacy and EDH. So just between Liliana and Teferi, you're covered. Elspeth is a good cube EDH card, um, and again has. The, probably the art that most people will be most excited about because it's her with the mask that shows she's still alive in the Theros underworld or whatever that may allude to some future storyline. Yeah, and she's her. stabbed in the chest. Um, yeah, and Tezzeret Agent of Bolas hasn't had, like, his foils are expensive as well um, because that's like mirrored in yeah. block action, right? Um, Doretti, Ral, and Nicol Bolas will be, you know, less of a big deal, but Bolas has been the centerpiece villain for a while now, so just on the basis that he is a well-known villain, will probably drive people to want the masterpiece for cube and EDH purposes. Bottom line is, I suspect that you can easily double your money on the Planeswalkers. Like, do we have any trouble believing that on average they go from 25 to 50 in the aftermarket? I do not have... I would be surprised if Ral was $50. Uh, the others... I don't know what Doretti foils are probably 50 because he was in Conspiracy. All those foils are crazy. Um, I'm I'm going to say on average $50 sounds about right. Uh, I'll give you an average of 50 Yeah. 
I mean, our Duretti foils are are almost bang on fifty dollars. All right, so then the only one who's probably going to be less than that is the Ral, and that heavily depends on you know because uh, he's so spell dependent. Like, would you play Ral in your uh, in your Atraxa deck? Well, no, because he's red. It's oh, like good point. Good point. You can't play. Silly me. So, Silly. but like he, I think he's a solid mid-tier planeswalker. But I think it's more about like ignore him for the moment. Teferi, Tezzeret, Elspeth, Liliana, Duretti, Olas, and the Mystery, which I'm, as I said, I think is Frasca. Um, that that's enough. Like they they will average fifty plus, and it won't matter if one or two of them are are only. 25 to 40. But there's more going on here. Even if we say that they are, there's the same number of these as there were in booster boxes previously, that shift in the business model has a bunch of implications. So you alluded to one of them earlier, which was that um, they are uploading a bunch of the profit that could have been seen at the LGS level. And what I mean by that is that in the previous incarnations of the masterpieces, in the expeditions and the invocations and the inventions, um, they were used as a way of uh, enticing players to buy standard booster boxes and with the one in three chance of pulling a random masterpiece that added some EV and drained value from the cost of standard cards. So in theory, it made standard a little cheaper, and you had potentially a much greater upside, though on average your cards were going to be worth a little less. So they've now switched from that to a, a situation where if you commit to the $250 box and you manage to buy it online, then you get all eight Planeswalkers guaranteed, so it's no longer a one in every three booster boxes. So somebody who has the coin gets to see, hold, touch, own, collect all eight. Now, they don't get any of the lottery ticket fun, but they get almost immediate upside. Like, I would I would guess that a lot of these are going to jump out the gates well over $50. And then the market will sort out how many of them can retain that price. Here's a, on that note, I got a, a side question for you. So if you buy these uh, at $250, you are you've got the bots, you, you get lucky and get your two... What would you turn around and flip them for? What would be your number? I, I know what my number is. I think I would probably start out by uh, just throwing it out there at double. I would see if I could get one it, part, part, double. Part, part of this depends on how fast it sells out. If this is a one-day event... There's no way it, do, it doesn't sell out in a day. Are you kidding? Or, or if it's even a one... Or if it's a one-week event... Oh. Week. then it's it's definitely going to sell out and there's never going to be a moment where there was any lying around. And that's going to, how that plays out, and once we get those details, we'll talk about it again, is going to determine how the prices unfurl. If it's a really short-term event and a lot of people are experiencing FOMO, that's going to drive prices hard because people are going to be like, ah, like I didn't get it, so I'm going to, like, but I really want this card for my deck, so I better buy it and... You know, if I wait, maybe it's going to go too high. And keep in mind, people have a fresh memory <laughs> of getting burned on Masterpiece Inventions where they waited too long. Um, and also, to a certain degree, some of the invocations and definitely some of the expeditions. 
during that period where, you know, Travis and I started calling attention to how undervalued they were in the winter of 2017 and then all hell broke loose. So, you know, people that saw Masterpiece Soul Rings go to 400 when they could have had them at 100 remember that and they are going to consider that when deciding what to pay for like Teferi Hero Dominaria the Masterpiece. Well, and that's the thing is that you we just said that if they average 50, great. Is it un is it unthinkable that uh, all the planeswalkers together have a retail of five hundred? No, that's I think that's easily doable, and I think I think long term almost guaranteed. Yeah, long term is is going to be just ridiculous. But I I would I, I don't I'll put it this way I in let if I get some and it happens really fast and then the door closes and people are just like. Uh, <laughs> If the market seems frothy and emotional, and people are and, and people are and people are flipping sets in the first week for like for like five hundred plus, then I would you know I would consider selling if I got two I would consider selling one and holding the other. That's that's a pretty standard move if I'm not hundred percent sure what six months from now looks like, and m- part of that would be based on the fact that a lot of the time when I've sold masterpieces, I have three months later looked back and said I was early. You know, like I, I got really, I was buying Masterpiece, Mana Crypts, and Soul Rings at like 75 to 80 to 90 and then up to 100 and then later bought some at 150 and 180 and kept chasing Soul Ring up the curve because it kept, it kept going. And that meant that some of the ones I bought at say 90, I sold at like 140, 150 and felt really good about. And then if I'd waited six months, could have sold them at 300. So these situations where the demand, the supply is just choked off, you know, Nexus of Fate, the SECC sets, the masterpieces, and now this, you don't need to be in a rush because the, the market dynamics almost never reverse flow against you. They're, they're not going to, they're not going to, going to announce the same planeswalkers get reprinted three months later. That's just not going to happen. What you might see for the next Ravnica set is that they do it again with another batch of them. That seems likely. But the that probably has no impact. In fact, it probably helps because if the if that set is a bunch of good planeswalkers, then people want collectors want the full set, and they have to go back and get they the old ones too. Get the full set. So now there's 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 another there's another operational constraint here though. It's not just that it's uh, a bot friendly website that tends to crash and that it's hard for people to you know if they put them on sale at noon on a Tuesday or something. People at work might get oh, locked there's out. There's no doubt in my mind it's going to go on sale at like some random ass 1.37 p.m. Central Time kind of thing. But there's another part to this announcement. Masterpieces were distributed globally. They were only in English, even in foreign product. These masterpieces are only going to be delivered to Canada and the U.S. because the third-party contractor that runs the Hasbro Toy Shop warehouse only has operational uh, set up to support Canada and the U.S. Like that's the only places they ship generally. So, they no one's no one from overseas gets to order these at all, directly. So that means none in Europe, none in Japan, none in South America, none in Australia, and all of those people, if they want them, they're going to have to pay a premium. So unlike the Kaladesh inventions, which were really cheap in Europe. And you got to import into the U.S. because a lot of them were EDH focused. And EDH is weak in Europe. These are um, arguably a mixture of uh, 
standard, modern, and EDH-focused planeswalkers that are certainly, going, I think, going to be overall less desirable outside of North America than within. But because the total inventory in everywhere outside the U.S. and Canada is zero, <laughs> again, as with the SCCC planeswalkers, I expect these to command a hefty premium on MKM. Like, if the SCCC planeswalkers are going for more than four times their original value on MKM, I think we can expect that these will end up somewhere between the equivalent of 500 and 800 US on MKM. So the thing that comes to my mind, and I, I think you're right about all of that, uh, Wizards uh, is not going to make a lot of these, I think. And I, I think you're right that the number stays small. And I think that's a miss on their part, not just because their website sucks. And uh, if you've ever tried to uh, do something on Hasbro Toy Shop, uh, get the SDCC walkers or whatever, uh, it is a royal pain. It is a, a badly bad UI, bad, uh, I don't know enough of the terms of why it sucks. But the thing is, is that we know they're not going to do enough because the first time they do something, they do it poorly and they did the first modern masters they underprinted this one they know they're going to sell all of them they they have to know that and even if this was print to demand even if they said we'll do extra runs of this it would it would just be pure money for them and uh it would cut down on the people who harp about the financiers but this is expressly for people who have the extra money to spend I can't wait to read the hot takes about how this is ruining the game when these are copies, these are reprints that nobody has to have. You just really want them because they're different, they're unique, they're your way of showing how awesome you are in your commander deck. And I... Yes, social criticism is going to fall flat here. So certainly it's going, to, my, it's going to find my ears deaf because, again... This is yes, this is a two hundred dollars fifty dollar product that's out of reach for a lot of people, and that sucks. But this game is constructed to have many elements that are designed by the very nature of the game to be out of reach for many people. This is just one of them. Fortunately, the game, as I said on Twitter today, is a platform, not a single format, and there are many, many options to play the game at any given price point. So when you have a when you have masterpieces that are just more expensive versions of the same thing, and I feel the same way about all foils as well, by the way, which is I think should be self evident. The you know you can argue that if you want to play standard and you can't get them like a nexus of fate because it only comes in foil, you have the start the beginnings of a, a solid argument. Even then, it doesn't work out in your favor. But to say that masterpieces not being like five dollars a piece and available to everyone is just silly. Now that doesn't that that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be looking at some operational improvements to manage the optics and decrease the number of feel bads in the community. And the way I would propose doing it as a web developer is that you have a lottery system, and the lottery si system uh, requires a DCI number. So make it something that rewards committed players that have at least gotten that far in their career. It becomes an onboarding technique because if there's somebody who is into magic but hasn't bothered to get a DCI number, you get them into the yeah, system. It just puts the downside. Um, there's no it, downside. It, it, then, it, it then becomes a database that you can use to follow up with with offers. 
which is what I've been talking about forever, about how the DCI number needs to get tied to premium products so that you can set up reward systems and coupons and stuff to keep people buying the stuff on the schedule that you want them to buy. Um, and it also would really cause trouble for bots because some like <laughs> if you really want to get extra sets, you can still do it. You can set up multiple accounts. You can borrow people's DCI numbers. You can do all sorts of stuff. And if you're running a store, you've got 10 people working for you in the store that can give you their DCI anyway. So it's not going to shut that whole process down. But you're at least taking, you know, creating the appearance that you're taking some necessary steps to eliminate the amount of scalping that's going to, going to go on. Because if this is just open season, goes on sale at 12 noon, there's 5,000 sets, and the bots hit them for three days until it shuts down, and then it's out, wow, boy, that's going to be scalper central. Do you really um, think it's going to last three days? Let's say that they're, take the number of WPN stores, which is probably something like 10,000 and multiply by one set. <laughs> if, if that's 10,000, then I, I find it hard to believe a store owner wouldn't buy a set. Like everybody can move a set to the richest guy in the neighborhood. So there's no reason not to bring in that. Inventory. No, what, I, what I'm saying is um, on the website, how long do you think? Yeah. yeah, But that's what I'm saying. Like everybody's going to visit it on day one. Yeah. And everybody's going to try and, and, and get it, theirs. And, and I, I just think that uh, given what a, what I've seen that it's not going to last very long. Oh, you think three days yes. is too long? Oh, I see. Yeah, the thing is that it's going to crash. Okay, sure point. Oh so, God! So the first, the first, the first day, the bots are going to have the advantage because they 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 deal with crashes better because they can in the microsecond where a page a lot is able to load, they're they're clicking faster than you. That's the whole nature right. of a bot, right? Is that your way? You you've been clicking the page. It's not loading. It's not loading. It won't let you get from your cart to the checkout. The bot slips into the cracks and gets to the checkout. Gets its an odd like in a split second enters all its credit card details and checks out. Gets the confirmation and they're good, and then moves on and does it again. Or they're running in parallel and it's all happening simultaneously. So the first day, a lot of people will give up, and there will be a bunch of bot activity that will be detected. Or just people that are too, they are stupid. They set up five accounts, but they all go to their home address. And so those are all going to get refunded and that inventory is going to get put back in the system, similar as with the SDCC stuff. So then it pops up again at two in the morning or whatever, and then somebody else gets them. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is going to take three days or three weeks to unfurl. We need to like get closer to the date and get some more details before we know for sure. But I can tell you that whether this is a like a thousand, five thousand, or ten thousand sets is not going to make much difference because I think the demand is globally will be enough to absorb it. If it's a hundred thousand sets and it stays up there for six weeks or something, then it's a different animal because the the thing about masterpieces in booster boxes is that a lot of them are still in booster boxes because a lot of booster boxes don't get opened, and the reason they don't get opened is because you only have a one in three chance of finding a masterpiece. If it was a one for one in every booster box for masterpieces, then a lot more of like the, the Kaladesh boxes would be getting bought and opened because you could justify to yourself, well, the cheapest masterpiece is $30 or $25 or $20 or whatever it is. And so, you know, if I get a masterpiece Black Vice, oh, well, and my upside is I get a masterpiece Soul Ring, so I may as well pop a box because there's a bunch of other decent stuff in it. But when it's a one in three, you just you, you, there's there's no reliability, so you don't do it. 
likewise, if I knew that my, you know, conspiracy, my Japanese BattleBot boxes were guaranteed to have a foil mythic in it, then I'd be more, I'd probably be opening them <laughs> because there's enough mythics in the set that having a foil Japanese version of would be a big deal. Um, and if they had masterpieces, I would have opened them long ago. So it's, if there's a hundred thousand sets and it sells over some long period of time and people get the impression that they're just sitting around when in fact they've just designed it to be available for a while, um, then you're going to see a rush of copies in go into the market. These will end up being very cheap because the masterpieces all arrive at the same right. time. There's going to be like everybody yeah. or, or the, the, the people that are trying to get five or 10 sets will be getting them in, within the first two weeks. All their copies start showing up on TCG because a lot of the vendors aren't going to be looking for long-term holds. Like the Dan box of the world might be stashing copies away for later, but a lot of the vendors just want to flip and keep going. So that means TCG, you know, even Teferi might have 200 copies available really quickly. And it feels like the inventory is really deep. And then the race to the bottom starts and everybody starts undercutting each other. And it goes from 100 to 98 to 96 to 92 and, and so on and so forth and lands, you know, wherever the market feels like it's an automatic buy-in. You know, if I saw Teferi Masterpieces under 60, I'm going to start buying. Even if it drops to fit, keeps dropping from there, I'll just buy down the curve probably. So it, it really, it, it's going to matter how long right. this goes on for. The shorter the period of the sale, the, the lower the inventory will be assumed to be the quicker it will sell out on TCG player. And I guarantee that if it's less than a week, then within six months, you're going to see major returns on the planeswalkers. If the sets sit around for a long time, it's going to be a longer term hold for the planeswalkers beyond the top two or three. And we can reevaluate at that time. But there's another angle to this I wanted to talk about. And we, you know, it's, it's, a little, it's fairly fascinating and complex, really. Like this is, this is a major shift for wizards, potentially. I mean, I, I don't actually think this upsets their core business model. This is an experiment. But the thing worth exploring is how they have, by selling, a, when they sell a booster box that sells on eBay for $80, as is quite common these days, they've only gotten like 50 or 60. Something like that, yeah. They sold it to a distributor. Because they sold it, they, they sold it, yeah, they sold it to a distributor and that distributor might be, if they're sports and more, for instance, selling directly to the internet. So typically, if it's, you know, your local LGS selling you the box at 110, the reason the gap is there between eBay's lowest price and theirs is that there's a wholesale and retail margin added on top. So marvel at wizard what Wizards is doing here. They're going to sell you a smaller booster box, 24 packs instead of 36. So less printing costs by 50% uh, or a third of the total. Um, 50% less packs. Uh, sorry. 33% less packs. Uh, and give you these eight masterpieces, which they printed at nominal cost. It's the right? same. Like, it's not. It's the same as printing more, a foil sheet. More, yeah. It's not much more expensive. Sure. And they're going to get an extra 200 for that. But not just the 200. They're cutting out the retail and the wholesale margins and capturing it all themselves. Although I suspect that there is some margin that's bled out to the team that's operating HasbroToyShop.com's warehouse, at least. Because I, in my experience, having dealt with them in the past, I did not get the impression they were direct Hasbro employees. So there's 
I suspect that that figures into this math. But that's still pretty tremendous, right? Like, that's an experiment worth running if you're Hasbro. Like, can we sell a box where we get five times the revenue and all of the profit minus expenses? Cut out the wholesaler and the, and the retailer and go from there. Now, the thing that I'm surprised about is, as you pointed out, they had this buy box program going where the first buy box promo, exclusive promo, was okay, and the next one was maybe too good, and now they've given us a 1616 Indestructible Pretend with Convoke, which is meh. And I'm a little surprised that these masterpieces didn't show up in the main set at, at the normal one in every three boxes, and then add this product on top. You can do it the old way, or for 250 you can get a guaranteed access right up front. I feel like the thing I don't know enough about and um, is that how much they're making versus how much they would have made. So they did the uh, Mapster pieces with uh, Ixalan, where you bought the box and you got the special booster, which had a guarantee of some good stuff, but might have like this phenomenal and rare thing. And we could have done that. We could have given you like more value that way. But this this feels like a giant fuck you to the stores. It feels like a, you're making too much money off of this. We want that money and we depend on you to run events and we depend on you to keep players interested and to do all these other things. And we're going to take something that could have made a bunch of money for you and it might well have given uh, how much um, uh, Nexus of Fate went for, how many boxes that might have moved on its own because an M19 box looks like a much better investment when you know you're getting a $30 Nexus of Fate. Um, it's, just, it's interesting because some people are saying like it's going to undercut how many boxes of Ravnica sell. That doesn't seem... And I, don't like I, don't th- well, I don't think that's true because, like I said, a very small percentage of the demographic would even consider a $250 product. So, And they have the option to buy it. Now, how well that works out, how long it goes on, and how much of a clusterfuck it ends up being, we shall see. But anybody who was could only afford one booster box or to play a few drafts is just going to do that same thing anyway. Like none, none of that part of the ecology of this system is upset. The is it better for the LGS owners if there are masterpieces in the fall set? Yeah, I, yes. I think so. Because because the set sells better when people have a chance at a lottery ticket. And if you look at the difference between Kaladesh and Ixalan, Ixalan's a weaker set, but it also didn't have the masterpieces. The masterpieces were cancelled and moved into those uh, promo packs. And the funny thing there is there were some like if they had been masterpieces, they would have been, you know, highly sought after. And as it turns out, putting them in those packs and giving them away for free led to some of them being very expensive indeed. So, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if it's a fuck you. I mean, they have every right to do whatever they're going to do. And I don't think it actually stops the, the LGSs from making money, but it doesn't help them make It's that. money that could have gone to local game stores. Like, even if you, like, instead of, you know, you're going to get a, a promo, like, you know, for example, let's say they didn't give us the, uh, whatever the giant indestructible convoke thing is called, I forget, impervious great worm. Um, 
Imagine if you got a booster pack that had a 50% chance of having one of these hexless walkers, and it was guaranteed to have a foil rare from the new set. Then that's, you know, you're getting that gambling urge, you're getting the extra value, and you're, you're encouraging people to buy at the local store, which is what I thought they were doing. And they have only been doing this for nine months, three sets, right? Uh, yeah, there's you could a, have also you could also have done a thing you could also have done a thing where it was, um, well you could have changed the ratio yeah. essentially you could have said buy a box get one of the planeswalker packs sure which is actually which is actually inferior mind you to the two fifty price point the problem with the the difference of the two fifty price point keep in mind you're getting all eight walkers so even if you were guaranteed a walker for a hundred dollar box. That's not as good as the 250. Right. But the 250 requires you to have the 250 all at once and to have a credit card and, and a Hasbro toy shop account. So, I like mean, you said, there's a lot of feels bad involved if you're not somebody who has the disposable income. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's interesting here is one of the other methods that was more operationally complex but might have been better overall for their ecosystem is if you bought them online via the lottery system that I, that I suggested. And if you were successful your box was sent through to your LGS, like as part of their allocation. So that could be going on like now, like during preview season, we could all be signing up mm -hmm. for this thing. And then you find out that like two people in the store get the chance to buy the box or four people or however you want to work that math. And the boxes, the, the LGS doesn't capture any like money from the sale, but they capture you coming into the store to pick it up and then potentially signing up for a draft or whatever. And the store gets to like manage the lottery process potentially. Like it could be, you could have set it up so that like a game day weekend, the prize was the opportunity to buy the thing, which you could then pass on to somebody else. Like it's transferable. Like you get the golden ticket and then you can choose to use it or not. Um, uh, I'm pretty uh, not on board with the local stores getting to decide in some way who the eligible people are. Cause you think it'll get abused. Yeah, I do think it will get abused quite badly. Um, that's let fair. Me, let me uh, distill this down for you. Um, so there's a 100% chance that you are going to buy, you're going to try to buy some of these, correct? Even if the foiling process is as bad as FTV, I can't see myself buying any less than the minimum. Because I think skipping, the worst case scenario is that they've printed like 20,000 sets, I would guess. Like That's the, the most I can see possibly committing to in this experiment. And if I had to guess, I think it's close, somewhere between five and 10,000. Given what I know about how much they probably sell at SDCC for a similar kind of like short run product, you know, and how many masterpieces we've calculated probably exist from the last three editions, I think that they probably kept it pretty much in line with that. So let's say that the upper limit is 10,000. I, I, I feel confident that two or three of the planeswalkers will easily justify the $200. It does seem like a, a slam dunk, and uh, that's what I wanted to leave people with, is the idea that this is easily worth doing. Uh, I, I, can't imagine a I can't imagine the scenario. It's where they, uh, it's available for a month, like even with the bots and even with everybody who's clamoring to get one. If everybody who's going crazy, uh, what did you say, frothy and emotional? Was, was the phrase. I'm going to work that into every conversation I can now. 
Um, well, like I'm, I'm seeing people on Twitter like respond to me. Like I, I reposted the thing from Blake Rasmussen where he said it's a limited item, so no, it will not be restocked. Once they're gone, they're gone. And people responded to me things like, "I just can't support this product," and it's like, "Fine, no problem." <laughs> were you going and, and to go and, and go and go ahead and rip the, the logos off your Nikes while you're at it? Like no one, no one's gonna care. Because like, uh. if you think that you're by not buying it, you're gonna send a signal to Wizards. Guess again, because <laughs> the people that are the wolves in the sheep, uh, in amongst the sheep, are not going to be scared off by this. And the less you you commit to buying, the more they get a chance to run their bots. <laughs> and and let me tell you something. If if it turns out that only ten percent of the total magic population wants this, that's still way more demand than will be able to be filled. Even if that's over some period of time. Especially because, like you said, they, they, somehow they have a website available in 2018 that is not able to ship outside North America. What the ever? Do these people not have PayPal? Well, well, one of the things I would I would I would argue is. It is actually an operational nightmare to ship internationally. Like I've dealt with this for many, many clients. It is to integ- fully integrate with shipping systems across the globe is craziness. And especially if you're not selling, if you're going to sell millions of something, like for instance, in the Bitcoin world, there are hardware wallets that everybody needs if they have any a significant amount of Bitcoin, and it's very common to order them from Europe to pretty much anywhere and pay whatever because you. You just you need that level of security. So, and if you're going to sell millions of something, then you'll work it out. You'll make it work. But even like companies like Amazon and Walmart and whatever don't want to ship internationally. Like many of them won't. If you have the option to have something shipped to you by one of those companies, it probably means you have local distribution, right? Like they've gone ahead and set up a distribution warehouse in your city, which is why you can order it online. Amazon Canada only exists because we have Amazon warehouses in Canada. If it, if they would never have an Amazon Canada if you had to ship from the States. It's just such an operational logistical nightmare. Shipping's brutal. So that, does, that part doesn't surprise me, but the, the opportunity to distribute this product as connects to the LGS that I was describing is your end run around that because those operations have to get shipped product from their distributors. And, yeah, it already right? exists. They already and, have a way to get boxes. And, and, yeah, exactly. So these could have been shipped out like one for every 10 cases or something. And you have to register with wizards about how you like the circumstances under which you distribute it. It's not a super easy puzzle to solve. And it's much easier for them to run this experiment in the way that they're running it. But because HasbroToyShop.com is not a stable platform under duress, that's under pressure. That's the real problem, right? Like if this was, if this pro, if this, website could handle high volume traffic, then it would be a lot better. I just keep thinking about the many years of Magic Online where every pre-release, you were guaranteed to have it lock up and crash from the amount of people using it. They knew it was going to happen and they would do it anyway. It was the easiest value you'd ever make was to, was to get into a pre-release on Magic Online prior to like I don't know. I stopped playing on online in like 2009. So uh, uh, that whole period was just a nightmare. So them having a crappy website surprises me 0%. And I, 
Oh, yeah. I mean, Hasbro's weak at technology. Let's all just get on board with this concept and decide whether that changes our commitment to the game. Not in the least. Because that's just how it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to be trying to buy so, it. You're going to be trying to buy it. I imagine lots of people are going to be trying. Um, I don't think it lasts a oh, day. Yeah. For, uh, it, depending on how many crashes it has. I think it'll, if it stayed up, I think it would sell out. They would sell out in a day. That's my prediction. Well, one of the interesting things here is that because it's U.S. and Canada only, your demographic is, I can afford $250, i am available at Tuesday at noon, um, I have at least an account set up with Hasbro Toy Shop, because if you don't have one set up when this goes down, you're wrecked, because <laughs> the, the, pages, the, the, the pages to set up the account are not going to load, and you're, you're, you're locked out. You, you basically need to be set up, logged in, Credit card details stored, ready to go. <laughs> you you do not you do not want to be in a situation where you're trying to sign up for the site at the same time you're buying this thing. You're going to be wrecked. So it it will be similar to when they sell the San Diego Comic Con sets. Like it, I think it's going to be very very similar to what just happened last month. It's going to be whoever's available at a certain time, certain date. And the only question is how deep is the inventory to determine how long this goes on for. I, I'm I I think they probably want more data than what they're going to get from a single day. I think because a single day's worth of inventory, I don't even think that's much of an experiment. They know they can move that. Like they know because they've done it with San Diego Comic-Con. So let's assume there's more inventory than there would be for Comic-Con because they want to see how far they can push the $250 price tag, which they've only really ever tested before with Commander's Arsenal. Anthology, too, I would add to that Um, And and Modern Masters boxes, which, right? So they, I, I think ten thousand would be my best guess, as high as twenty. Let's say that lasts a week plus, um, and then assuming everything goes about as expected, the website crashes, people buy it anyway, they do sell out. Um, expect to see it again for the next set because there's the, the odds in them like totally flipping the script, like not doing it again for the next step. So that there's only ever eight masterpiece planeswalkers in this style, that Listen, seems very I, unlikely. I've lost a lot of money trying to predict what Wizards is going to do, so I, I have no idea about what'll happen in the next set. Yeah. So in summary, you buy these if you can. Um, I don't think you're taking much risk. The upside is much much higher than the downside. The LGSs. Um, Deserved a better buy a box at minimum. Boy, that sure does stand this. out. I don't huh? think you get, too... uh, masterpieces in this thing, and you get uh, another in generic giant fatty for the buy a box. The the biggest, notably the biggest creature of all time in Magic, still doesn't have trample. Cool. Um, but it only has indestructible. Like, why can't this uh, thing have trample? By the way. Uh, that's a set, yeah. Problem. That's a game design question. Why would you want a, a giant creature that ends the game immediately? Giant indestructible trample. We have blightsteel colossus. Is this worse than blightsteel colossus? Good question. Anyway, uh, Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Edition. Go buy it. Sorry, game stores. Easy buy. I. I so here's my final point. One of the things I found really amusing here was that how last week on, on social media, the big topic du jour was how modern staples have risen on average too high, which is true. 
to some extent. Not that it's too high, but that they have risen quite a bit and that there has been a reduced amount of reprints. Now, I think that people are looking at that the wrong way. I think that that happened because the last two Master Sets were Nostalgia and 25th Anniversary themed, and so they didn't have a lot of slots available for modern reprints, and so we didn't get them. I think heading into 2019, you're going to see them flip the script, and you're going to see a whole bunch of reprints again that are relevant, and I would expect to see a Master Set next year that has a heavy contingent of reprints. But... It's hilarious that people were talking about how modern's too expensive and nobody's going to play and the game's going to collapse. And then this week we get a $250 product announced. Clearly the people with the access to the data are much less scared about high price points than the people that are complaining on social media. And only one of those two people <laughs> is well informed. Well, like you said, it's an experiment and we will see where it goes. Um, I'm going to be trying to hit the beat the bot lottery myself and uh, we'll, we'll see. I'm probably just going to enjoy looking at stuff. I could have downloaded off deviant art for a couple of days before I get bored of them. All right. So that's a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online? Cliff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at word of commander and my Friday articles for mtgprice.com. And I can be found on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. That's it for this week, folks. Hope you stayed around for the entire uh, conversation about stores and volume because this is what we're going to need to know if this is what they're going to do. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.